0: You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. This is the time of year when traditions come to the fore. For example, public holidays in South Africa... No productivity in South Africa, family arguments, too much food and drink, bad presents, and of course, we have the inevitable uh, follow-on from that, which is the January divorces or split-ups of relationships because they've spent too much time with each other over this period, which is incredibly unnatural. And also, one of the great festive season so-called traditions is Liston Mainties look forward to the next year. His predictions, in the, obviously this year, it's going to be looking forward to 2020, and I've been looking forward to this for quite a while, and you've kept it under wraps, but it's now about to be unwrapped, hopefully not like a bad present under the Christmas tree, but a good present for investors.
1: All right. Well, I think the way I would like to start the conversation, and I really do try to do this when I look into the future, is let's start with the facts. And uh, those are the important parts. They're the, they're the base. Then we kind of move to uh, opinion, And, uh, well, perhaps in between we look at situations that could happen, and then we talk about opinion. And one of the big things I always say at at an outlook is nobody knows the future. That's the first part. The second one is we must look at, you know, reasonably likely events, but we must also talk about some which could happen, which would have a very big impact. So I think that's where we kind of start. So let me start with the general. And the obvious fact is, 2020 is a leap year. It is also an Olympic Games year. It is also the year of the presidential election in the United States. So those are all known knowns. Then we also know that President Trump it will be uh, in the seat unless he's impeached for the year. And that has definite overtones of what could and could not happen. Uh, We go across to the UK and we finally have absolute certainty who is the new prime minister with a 46-seat majority or thereabouts, and most likely to be the person to shepherd in whatever form of Brexit they finally do agree on, always remembering that the EU have the final say. He says, I'm going to do it my way. And they say, no, wait a minute. Actually, you're the one who's leaving. Uh, You have to do it our way. So I still think there's a fair bit of negotiation and discussion. He has been foreign minister. He does know a number of the people. And like many of the situations, everybody wants it to succeed. But so the fact is Boris is in charge. On the South African side, and I'm really not going to go around the world. I could obviously, but I say let's stick with where we are. Right. On the South African side, we have a president Uh, who is hanging on against a number of people in his own party who probably would not like him still to be there. So I think he's got a a tricky path to walk, Uh, but he is there. And he has made a number of things uh, fairly obvious already. We're moving into, we hope, a new era, but we still have, and this one won't go away soon, and it's called the State-Owned Enterprises or or State-Owned Corporations. It has been headline news for as long as we can all remember. Now let's move to uh, you know something a little bit more. Where I say let's look at the trends, and without a doubt, and particularly uh, starting with Trump, we have a pattern of what I call protectionism, patriotism, paternalism, and populism. Four P's. <laughs> Known as America First, <laughs> and I have actually seen somebody in Europe joke and say, we should make it Europe first. So whether you call that trade wars, and now, of course, China comes into the picture, whether you call that trade wars or whether you call that just ordinary banter between politicians, that is a part of the real secret, I think, of 2020. So we have in the UK an agreement, and, and Mr. Trump has said, you know, we will do a great deal with the UK now that we know where they're going. Well, A, I don't know where they're going. B, on the trade wars, the one thing we know is that phase one has been agreed. But really, truly, if you look at what trade wars, at least phase one, is all about, it's largely selling more agricultural produce into uh, uh, China. Now, the one thing I know is that you have to transport that. I'm not sure that we've got the right vessels for transporting grains and the like. Uh, It's not the sort of thing that you put into a container. Or if you do, you've got to put them into sacks and bags and all sorts of things before you put them into the container. So I just think this sounds easy to say and not so easy to actually do, although I believe the Chinese are amongst the most efficient in unloading ships in their various ports. So, again, this pattern of protectionism and populism, and we've seen the populism story. And whether you call it Zimbabwe, whether you call it Venezuela, whether you call it Cuba, whether you call it in some ways the the Russia that was, it doesn't work. Uh, You spend other people's money more freely than your own. And eventually you run out of other people's money. Now, that's part of the dangers in a number of places, not yet in the United States. Now, let's look at the United States as an economy, for instance. And I'm saying, firstly, we've got low inflation, which is the big question mark for me for 2020 in that environment. And following it, we have the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, saying unlikely to change interest rates the whole of 2020. Now, I don't think he could actually have said that. (laughs) but that's what the press is telling me he said well i mean just before
0: you go on i mean let's let's go back one year and and recall what he said about 2019 when it was the end of 2018 and he didn't lie to us but he he really did mislead us or rather his instincts and his colleagues instincts misled us
1: yeah well well again you know uh in my book, you know, the Federal Reserve is actually a reactionary, in other words, they're not proactive; they react to situations. They should not be there steering it and saying where it's going. That is fiscal policy that is politics going right down to to states but so spinning on that one, we come to the presidential election, and I'm saying we have a front runner for the republican party i don't think there's even going to be a contest anybody contesting against him. And that is a a, a gentleman that we have seen from where we sit as doing very strange and unpopular things with his allies. But when I go back and I look and say, what did he promise to do? Most of it he has done. And the people who voted for him are unlikely to uh, uh, vote for, uh, uh, change their minds. But I think I sent you, I don't know if I did, but a very interesting article by Bill Shaw. And he operates one of these forecasting uh, companies and claims to have, uh, you know, forecast the 2008 and the global financial crisis, made a lot of money and did all, all a number of right things. But he made the point, he said, if you look at the midterm elections, that was in 2018, there was a major swing away, even in the states that voted for Trump. And they put it down to the fact that there are 10,000 new voters coming on stream in America every day. Now, my goodness me, that's a lot of people. That's 70,000 a week. And that is enormous numbers. And yes. he is most of them, and being young and being everything, tend to be much more on the liberal side. And he says this is something you can't change it will happen, and Trump has absolutely no chance. So Mr. I just Mr. Trump. to put that in people's <laughs> <Yeah>. thinking. <laughs> well, <laughs> on, that note, on that note, listen, because
0: Mr. Trump sent a tweet out over the weekend saying there are 25 million evangelical Christians that are eligible to vote but are not registered to vote. And so he sort of countered that with the, uh, with, with the Christian vote, if you see what I mean.
1: No, absolutely. But anyway, the point is I don't know that it's so easy. And it would not be easy for Mr. Trump if there was somebody on the other side. The most likely candidate is still Joe Biden. He is older than Trump. And Bernie Sanders is older than both of them. So, you know, (laughs) I cannot understand how the youth has, uh, you know, this wonderful idea of Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. But they say various right things. So what I'm saying is unless the Democratic Party can really put together a cogent uh, opponent for Mr. Trump, I would think, sitting where I sit and knowing what I know, I would have thought that it's a fairly easy run for him. So we'll distract the whole thing by having an impeachment process, which I believe will fail. But going back to the economics of it, the economy is still running reasonably well. It turns out that the company profits have been going down. Did I say the word down? (laughs) For well, 18 months already. And the market, stock market has been going up. Now, it's a big question of whether the companies whose profits are going down are going up. We didn't say that at all. We said the average is going up. And a lot of the average are companies that don't even make profits. <laughs> so
0: you mean the tech companies? We have,
1: we, have, we have to be very careful, you know, the way we, we understand and interpret this. But the long story short is I don't think in America with unemployment, you know, down in the, in the three level, uh, that, that anybody is foreseeing a recession, danger, damage and hating the president. That just doesn't make sense to me. So long story, it'll be a long haul to November. And, uh, of course, you, you and I know the, the, the way that the Electoral College appoints uh, elects the president, not the populace the populace vote state by state. States get certain number of votes in the Electoral College, depending on their size. And we know pretty well those that are blue and those that are red. It turns out quite a few that were blue earlier became red when Trump stood for election first time. And the big question now is those swing votes and those swing states. I will watch with great interest meanwhile we've got to make some kind of call on on where we think that you know that stock market is going good this with is this is this is the exciting
0: this rate. is the exciting part listen now we can talk yeah. as much as we like uh, about donald trump and try and predict this and try and predict that we know he's going to be reelected in 2020 barring something i mean he has he has overcome every hurdle he has been disparaging about women about the lgbtq community about political opponents. Uh, about uh, people of different race he is a racist misogynist and and quite honestly a pig in my in my eyes and that's my view Uh, but he seems to he seems to engender some kind of loyalty amongst his base and that base will propel him to another another term which is quite sad really
1: yeah well again getting back to the earnings story and again (laughs) i say i don't like to deal with averages because that's all they are and if half of the market's going to go up 20% and half's going to drop 20%, the market's going nowhere or the index is going nowhere. Uh, But that doesn't mean to say you shouldn't buy it because you should be looking for those that are going up 20%. Now, again, we haven't got time to cover all of the various uh, global uh, investment classification uh, 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 sectors. There are nine or 10 of them. Uh, But again, When you have a low inflation, low interest rate environment and plenty of people consuming, uh, it is very difficult to say that, you know, uh, various parts will be under pressure. The interesting one, and it's because of a digital economy, is that online shopping is growing at an enormous pace and malls and actual uh, bricks and mortar uh, uh, shops are battling. So it doesn't do for me to say retail is terrible because I'm saying in total it may not be but only certain areas of retail are doing reasonably well and you get similar stories on 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 oil whether it's just the oil majors drilling around the world or whether it's you know a shale gas in the in the in the Appalachian basin uh, completely different parts of the same industry so Again, my, my, my statement is that I still expect, and people always like to deal in the averages, I would expect their market in terms of the S&P index and the NASDAQ index to go better. The one that I'm dubious about is the Dow. And the reason for that is that the largest stock in the Dow by a long way is a company called Boeing. Mm-hmm. Now Boeing have just announced, and it's courtesy of the FAA in America, saying not so fast. That they are saying we're probably going to put a pause button on the Boeing seven three seven Max. Now that was their future profitability. They were building five thousand of the of the items till a couple of them fell out the sky, uh, and I think they're going to be huge lawsuits. So if the largest stock in your index goes down. Uh, it puts a bit of pressure on that index. So that's why I say, you know, whatever I say, regarded more as mainstream than just Boeing and and, and some hangers-on. Move across to the the, the UK. Now, again, if we say, now we have Brexit, gosh, okay, now we have. What do we do? Well, first of all, all the treaties that we had with all the other countries, courtesy of being part of the EU, fall away. Now we've got to renegotiate those. Those will take ages. But in the meantime, you've got 250 million or a bit more even maybe uh, uh, wealthy, high quality standard of living people in Europe and 60, 70 million in the UK. Why would you have your headquarters there? So you don't. You move your headquarters. You keep a presence in London because it's always been a financial centre and it will almost certainly you know, stay that way in, in, in various parts. But your head office, where key decisions are going to be made, I believe, will be moved to where the, the real... Uh, a consumer and, and people that you're selling to are. And we've seen enough of it already. So I maintain, and it doesn't matter whether Boris says yes, no, whether EU says yes, no, whether Macron says we don't like clause 17.3, whatever it is, <laughs> the statement is uh, the UK, in my opinion, will go into a recession in 2020. Now, I think I'm one of the few who is saying that. Other people are saying, oh, peace in our time, wonderful, Boris has done it, Boris has the majority, it's going to work. I promise you, I don't think that is the way to look at it. We move across to Europe, and again, we have a group of people. It has changed with Christine Lagarde at the top in the ECB, and they're having a review in January. And they're going to see what they what they really want to do. Now, the review should say we've had low to negative interest rates for a number of years, and we haven't had growth. Maybe it doesn't work the way that we thought it would. But unfortunately, it's very difficult to get out of that situation. So I maintain that will be what I call muddle through the middle it will just carry on with a bit of this and a bit of that discrepancies between Italy and Greece and whoever else you know pops into the equation but as a unit we are particularly seeing and it it, it is evident there's a swing towards electric cars electric vehicles and that's taking a lot of money for the retooling the reorganizing the re whatever people are hesitating to buy a car so in fact some of the big production units, particularly in Germany, uh, are battling and actually probably going to end up 2019 selling less, certainly selling less in China. So the world is a bit of a melting pot, particularly with regard to what I would call the digital era, where a lot of jobs can be done by robots, and a lot of online, of sales are taking place online, Uh, we have to understand this is a trend in the world that will not go away, and 2020 will probably get worse. Go to China. We've got a situation where they're still targeting 6% growth. India next door is slowing down to 6%. So, you know, two countries with, you know, the best part of 2.5 billion people, that's more than a third of the world, is growing in terms of the economies that the, those people represent, are growing at over 6%. I, I just can't see the world falling apart under a situation like that. Okay. China, China, just, China just, China let's
0: just re, can we just recap what you've said so far? Because we're going to get to you your tips. I mean, I know, you don't, don't, I know you play your cards very close to your chest when it comes to actual predictions, uh, Liston, but what you're saying is that you don't see a big problem in 2020. You see more of the same. Just to recap uh, very much so, so
1: far, yes. Uh, lots of distractions. Uh, the real key is still going to be this phase one, and and now we will turn it into phase two. Nobody really understands phase one properly yet, but it, and there are questions already arising. And honestly, you know, and as as I look at the market today, and I know it's a holiday in South Africa, but if you look at the market today, you will find that the uh, Nikkei Dow is down. You'll find that the Hang Seng is down, the Shanghai is up, the DAX is up, and of course, hello, the FTSE is up nearly 2% today. So these are daily moves, but the, but the real point I'm making is there was a lot of froth as to how good it was all going to be. Now we have signed a piece of paper, but actually when we... Look down at the at, at, at whether the ships are floating, you know, from China to the east coast of at least the west coast of America. We find they're still on their way, but long long story is the China side of it is still the test for me. If by chance somewhere along the line Mr. Trump says no, the Chinese are cheating. I'm not having this. I'm even going to go back and I'm going to add another fifteen percent tariffs on things <laughs> they didn't even know
0: about. That, that can happen.
1: Uh, which I rate as a highly probable. A uh, impactful event, so I say that those are what I would call the surprise of of of, of uh, twenty twenty. But so I'm saying, and and you're 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 quite right. It's more of the same, but I, the emphasis is on the recession in the UK and the way that impacts everything else. <clears throat> And it must have a spill off, been a spin off onto Europe, because a lot of the people from the UK choose to holiday in Spain and me and and south of France. They will probably not be going if there's a recession and or they've got to have all sorts of extra requirements because they're, they're now having to cross a border. So I, I still say that's your big big funny. Now let's bring it back to South Africa because I don't know how much time we've got. I've already. Been on for about 25 minutes. But coming back to South Africa, and I get this question all the time. People say, but what about South Africa? And I say, now look, we as a country run a balance of payments deficit. We therefore need to get money in. And so far, the only way that the Reserve Bank and the government have found is to have high interest rates. There is no doubt in terms of every other book in terms of Turkey, in terms of Brazil, in terms of other countries that we might think we could be uh, compared to, the minute there's a wobble on their growth, they drop interest rates. But they can do that because their inflation is low. We've got the lowest inflation in nine years. We have a currency that is reasonably stable and has been, believe it or not, for a year or two Well, of course, it has swings, but it has been reasonably stable for that time. And as I said, with low inflation, we have huge unemployment. And when I tell people that in South Africa, there are more people receiving a government benefit or grant than there are working, their eyes nearly pop out. They say, Mm -hmm. it can't be. And I say, it's 17 million on the one side, 16 million on the other. This is not a good recipe. This cake will not bake well. So those are where where we start. Huge unemployment, low inflation, and high interest rates. I cannot see that improving until our reserve bank says to whatever it is with the ratings agencies, we are going to cut rates because the economy needs it. Now, unfortunately, what happens when we do drop interest rates is there will be more consumer spending. But what will they be spending on? And the answer is they will be spending on T-shirts imported from the the East. They will be spending it maybe on cars, uh, parts of which we import from abroad. So we may actually worsen our balance of payments deficit if we (laughs) drop interest rates. I'm fairly sure that's what Lesetio Kanyago, as the governor of the Reserve Bank, is trying to tell people. He's saying, unfortunately, we've damaged our manufacturing base to a huge extent. Our hope has to be that mining and agriculture pick up Mining, I can see picking up. We're seeing some good prices in various areas. But we've got problems with our neighbors, whether that's Zimbabwe. You only have to read the, the Tongart report and find out how much they're losing and not losing. Two years ago, they were saying the one thing about Zimbabwe and sugar in Zimbabwe is that we always get our dividends out. They've never once stopped dividends flowing. Right. Now they have. Swaziland, they've, they've gone, and, uh, at least Mozambique, they've gone and built a, a refinery in Mozambique. And unfortunately, it's over budget, over whatever, not producing properly, and the world sugar prices at a low. How horrible. Now, well, bring it back to consumer, retail, whatever. Something has to turn. And the way this was explained to me by somebody who travels a lot more than I do, he just said, I've tried to sell South Africa to my colleagues in Europe, and they say, we'd love to believe you that things are going to improve. But if we invest in South Africa and it doesn't improve, we will lose our jobs. Our business will lose clients. We cannot put money in South Africa under the current situation. And the statement they made was headlines must change. Mm. So read your newspaper today and see what your headlines say. ESCOM is not going to do any power shedding, any load shedding over the long weekend. Now that's very strange. It didn't say it's not coming back next week. But okay, we should be okay on a number of on a number of fronts, uh you know, as long as we can dry out the coal, we can pulverize it as best we could, and we can import some more machinery, you know, to help ESCOM on its way. But just that is not getting any better. Meanwhile, SAA and I'm due to fly back from Munich to Johannesburg on, at the end of my holiday on, a, on an SAA flight. Good luck. I don't know if it'll be there. Uh, luckily, I've got travel insurance. But <laughs> you hear, And who's buying a ticket on SAA these days, by mm-hmm. the way? They, you know, I, I, I look at these SOEs and I say, I don't think it can get better. Then we've got the budget upcoming in February, and the ratings agencies are looking at it. As it turns out, and I think I said it on your show last time, I said, chaps, get over it. We are being labeled as junk already, whether it's, it's fully in, in, in by all three major ratings agencies or not. It is by two, but not by one. How they've held out for as many years with the news flow being what it is and how it is and company problems you know, within the country baffles me. They must all have the same kind of measuring system and to say you're not worth foreign investment. Now, that's where I go back to it, and that's a point I raised earlier. What can make South Africa go better? And the only answer is foreign investment. So I need to hear from whoever is talking and whoever is planning, not what the Zonda Commission is finding or not finding and what is happening in terms of ESCOM and whatever. I want to hear the words... Please, foreigners, we need you. We love you. We would love to have you come here. We have the most marvellous country for you to come and set up a business in cheap labour, and abundance of labour. Uh, English is spoken. Uh, it's, la- it's, it's the language of business in this country. Please come and, and, and help us build this thing. I never hear those words. So unfortunately, as you're asking me to to talk. So now we come back to... What can we expect? Now, the one thing that I definitely say, and it has been true, and a number of people have done better than their uh, uh, colleagues in the investment management industry, by having more bonds than equities. Ah. More bonds than equities. Now, again, at the end of last year, I wrote uh, an outlook I was wrong in some places, which I'll admit to. But the one thing I said is bonds will beat property. And our property index hit a new low for the year on Friday. So I'm right on the property is going nowhere. Now, property is very mixed because it – Well, half of them include buildings offshore, some of them are purely offshore.
0: Listen, just before you go on, I want you to talk, when we get to the end of you, when you give us your not specific but certainly insightful predictions for, for the various asset classes, I also want you to think about this while you're talking about the performance of asset managers in South Africa and how some of them have got it horrifically, horrendously and shamefully wrong.
1: Okay, <laughs> that's almost a whole program on its own, Lindsay. It's one of my one of my bandwagon items. So I will certainly cover that a little bit later.
0: Okay, just we've I, only got I, about I six I, minutes, by the way. Oh
1: I, I, no, I recognise we're going on a long time, and I won't go past go, the 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 forty forty or so minutes. Okay. So uh, coming coming back, and as I said, you know, very very difficult operating environment in South Africa, and surely again, you know. People always react to being told they had a recession because our GDP numbers come out two and a half months after the end of the quarter. So it tells you we were in recession back there. <laughs> Super. <laughs> Where are we now? But you can't mistake it with a, with a, a, a power cuts, everybody complaining. Uh, and seriously i i mean it didn't matter whether you're having to run the generators at the mall to keep the lights on whether you had problems in the spaza shop trying to trying to keep things cold and and the and the food perished i mean golly this has been just too much for too many people so again so i don't think and it doesn't matter how we start uh, or how how far we go i say the beginning of the year is going to be characterized by local companies still complaining and starting from a low base already and still complaining and saying, we just can't get anywhere, we're just going nowhere. Retail sales were some pathetic number up on last year. But again, those are retail sales by volume and – you would expect with a rising population that would happen. But on the other hand, people are having to sell at distressed prices to get people into their shop. So uh, really, truly, I don't look for anything coming through from, from, from that area. Most of the manufacturing saying exactly the same thing. So the place we can look for anything is, in fact, mining and exporting. Now, it's Not well known, but I suppose many of the listeners know that South Africa's, one of South Africa's leading exports is actually automotive parts and car parts. And in particular, things related to uh, left-hand, at least right-hand drive vehicles. We make virtually all of the Mercedes right-hand drive vehicles for the world. Uh, So we actually do export uh, in in that area. So that's reasonably good turns out the gold mines are having a little bit of a run nothing spectacular but the platinum mines have been having a spectacular run and uh, one of them that's in this week announcing that they're going to buy some somebody in canada uh, sabanya decided they would buy still water in america you know so again do you hear that south african operations are seeing better prospects outside south africa than they're seeing locally now, the foreigners see us taking money out of the country. Why would they bring it in? But bring it back. So still have problems of drought. I'm not sure about that at all, having had you know plenty of rain up here in the Transvaal. I checked dam levels in the Western Cape. We, we certainly are not in the sort of horrible situations that we were in before. <clears throat> but the words still keep coming out, and we'll see that. But I'm not too worried about agriculture. Two months ago I was when I said no rain in October, very little in in November. But end of November, beginning of December, certainly we've had enough for for farmers to go out and and plant. So less concerned about that. Now we look at the overseas companies on our stock market. And again, the the one we have to talk about is Naspersh. And it's it's uh, cousin called Process, which by the way, Nasdaq owns seventy four percent of Process. So, is it really a, a, a different company? Of
0: course, it's not. Yes, it
1: does does have some fancy ideas of of buying Just Eat, and uh, I think they if they get it, they will have overpaid, and they will probably pay a penalty for that. So, for my money, I'd rather be in Naspers with with its other bits and and get uh, Process at, at at whatever price. So. Then we move down and we've got British American Tobacco. I can't get excited. It, it produces quite a good uh, dividend yield, and people do smoke. But you know, there's a very big lobby against, and they've got the problem of vaping. Something like 46 deaths so far this year from vaping. Identifiable deaths from vaping. That was never the case when you when you when you heard about uh, you know people. They, they didn't smoke three cigarettes and die. But uh, when you hear about vaping, you know, somebody's been vaping for three months and dies, you say to yourself, my goodness me, lawsuits are coming. British American something tobacco just to the, the,
0: sorry this is a, this is a, a, I'm going to get onto my soapbox here. British American tobacco will be half the price it is today in in a couple of years time because of the things that you've just outlined unless they reinvent themselves and start investing in um uh, food delivery companies or something <laughs> like that. <laughs>
1: well there you go. And uh, maybe they'll do cigarette delivery. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, the, the point I've got is that I can't get overly excited. Then you've got Richmond. Now, Richmond has gone nowhere. But if you have a look at watch, and, and they are particularly big in watches, yes, they sell them at airports. But the Hong Kong airport, which used to sell plenty, is now virtually not selling for reasons that are completely different. But in any case, I don't know if, if you've noticed, but a heck of a lot of people no longer wear watches. They simply rely on their cell phone to tell them the time and to tell them of the diary event, and to say to them, you know, you've got 15 minutes to do whatever. So I'm just not sure that watches is quite where I want to be. But I did say, it was my stock pick one of the other days, when it was down at 110, they'd come out with some results, which looked horrible. But actually, it was purely because of a comparative to the year before. And it was actually slightly up on the year before that. So, you know, uh, it is still an international company of note, of repute. And with China and India with, as I said, two and a half billion people and a huge number reaching middle class and middle class values each day, I do think that there is still a fair chance that uh, our friend Richmond will surprise as we go along. Then we go across to the, the Mondies of this world with a lot of paper and whatever in Europe, I can. I just can't get get excited. I mean, the digital era. I don't know when I last printed, except when I had to, and it was a legal document which had to be signed, and I couldn't sign on online. Normally, you can. You know, you can just uh, you know uh, put some tickle there. But no, this one had to be uh, you know the original and signed and and whatever. And honestly, so. I just can't get excited about the future for paper, fine coated papers, whatever. That so that doesn't excite me. Right. We've got Investec with 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 uh, um, uh, you know international operations. So there's Investec PLC, and you might say, well, what's the real difference between Investec uh, Limited, and Investec PLC, and there's a whole heap of discussion. So you see what I'm trying to do here, Lindsay, is I'm taking you through and saying. There's not an awful lot that would encourage me to believe that they're going to have such good results and there will be such a lot of new money wanting to buy it other than me. Uh, And then I keep hearing about, you know, the small caps. But again, if you look at the small cap index, it is performing horribly. The surprise of all surprises is that the mid cap index is doing well. Now you say, gosh, that's interesting. You know, is are, is this because they are uh, small enough to grow but not big enough to be beaten up? And the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> the main reason that the mid-cap index is growing is that it is, has quite a few platinum shares in it. Platinum ah, companies. There we go. And they've been doing at Northern, I, for example. You. And you you mentioned it the other day. Implats just fourteen months ago was fifteen rand. It is now one hundred and twenty-five. So the mid-cap index has gone up by mid caps. Uh, incidentally nonsense, by the way they-
0: uh, listen if you have if you go to strictlybusinesspodcast.com you'll hear about the uh, the, the platinum investment that uh, our friend John Bickard indulged himself in over the last few years and waited and waited and waited and um, he revealed and it's in in the public domain that they have more or less cleared out of platinum they've sold 85 to 90% of all their platinum holdings and they're now looking at other things it got to 120 130 and they said thank you very much. Uh, so that's interesting.
1: Well, well, again, we all know that John Picard is a value manager. And when you buy it at 15 rand, and within two years it's gone up more than six times, you say, well, you know, I that's not value anymore. So I think he's being true to his style, and I think he understands. But again, when people say to me, but what is, what is going, and the simple truth is that the Platinum mines are one of the few areas of our economy that have what I call a tailwind. The palladium price, the rhodium price, all doing well. Platinum, not so well, but still the total basket of PGMs. Now, the, your question exactly, and John's question is it was worth buying at 15, 30, 45, 75. Maybe it's not worth buying at 125. So I just put that caution in, but I'm saying they will produce up earnings uh, that's that's no discussion no debate no anything about <laughs> related to the platinum miners
0: let's start let's start wrapping this up listen because we 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 need you we need your wisdom we need definitive what people want uh, when it comes to podcasts like this is okay we've heard the preamble we've heard the fundamental analysis we've heard the basis of your arguments but we now need the tips and you don't have to be specific buying richemont here or buying impala there or doing whatever just give us the general premise of your thoughts about 2020 asset classes asset allocation etc
1: Well, I'll say it's all in the eye of the beholder. And the real debate and test, which we haven't covered, which really matters and should matter more to any investor, uh, saver, whatever, is to say, where will the RAND be three years from now? Hmm. And the answer is none of us know. And some people say, oh, no, everything's going better. The RAND will be stronger than it is now. Many people say it should stay in roughly this area. And then there are the, uh, the the pessimists who say we can 't set improving anywhere now, depending on which of those belief structures you have, this is individual investors it 's also investment managers and their house view, but whichever one of those you have will dictate in which areas you will devote most of your money now, Unfortunately, I have seen this. Economy and I probably became financially aware probably in the 50s. I was still at school, but I was watching the stock market page on the newspaper that my dad brought home every day. And it carried on, uh, you know, through that. And I've only ever seen the Rand weaken over time. I've seen it strengthen. And by the way, I was one of the few people who, uh, at the beginning of the century, called down from 10 Rand to seven. Uh, But I just cannot see the same thing happening again. And by the way, we're weakening against the pound. Long story is over three years, I maintain that the RAND will be weaker than it is today against both the the dollar and the pound. And given that, you're you're getting a value in RANDs almost for nothing. Key is not to go and buy expensive stocks abroad, which are vulnerable, to a change of sentiment, either the Chinese uh, uh, Politburo or uh, uh, Donald Trump's, uh, you know, uh, America First kind of thing. So, for my money, I would take an awful lot offshore. I would look specifically at some areas known as uh, uh, IT, but in particular, the one trend that is available is five g you can go and buy a number of shares that 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 are in that area um, i wouldn 't buy old uh, you know rust belt kind of stuff general motors uh, and general electric. I just think you know they 've got a whole set of of being big problems. And I would specifically look to see if I was buying a fund in America that it wasn't just, you know, uh, a a clone of the MISCI because then you're paying too much for it rather than buy a tracker. Uh, I'm still not keen to buy trackers given the uncertainties of 2020. So cash overseas doesn't earn much. So where would you go? And I still think that you could do quite well in picking, as I said, certain areas of IT, I think certain areas of energy, I certainly wouldn't be buying retail except if it was online retail. So maybe I'm giving you that, that idea. Locally, I say I don't want to be in retailers. I, I can make a case for banks. They're under the whip. They've been there. But, you know, that people still do banking, whether they do it online or whether they do it. But the banks are making money and the bad debts are not as prevalent as I would have thought for this stage of the cycle. There are new competitors coming in, uh, but I certainly wouldn't say no to that. Next group I would go for would be the life insurers. They are actually what I call a geared play on the market. If the market, and I'm talking indices now in general, but overseas uh, investments, local bonds, local property, whatever, the, the insurers must give you a better chance in a world that is not totally falling apart, which is the one I'm painting. And then we come down to the small caps and, and, you know, South Africa facing. I I just say, unless you can persuade me that they have a real competitive advantage and what we investments call a moat, in other words, nobody else is operating in that space and likely to chop at their heels, Uh, unless they have a moat, I wouldn't be there. So I certainly wouldn't buy something as generic as a small cap, uh, a fund or as a mid-cap fund. I would say you have to be more specific than that. And there we are, Lindsay. I think we've just done our 45 minutes and I think I've given as much as I can.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, I have the feeling that 2020 will start off as 2019 did with lots of people saying all sorts of things and it'll be different this year, but it's not going to be different. But something has got to happen in 2020. Something has to because on in the first week in March of th- next year 2020 the bull market will be 11 years old 11 years old we're getting towards puberty
1: yeah well again our trees don't grow to the sky we know that but the the point i would make is that you want to look where the real growth has been it has not been everywhere and particularly it has been in a thing called the nasdaq which is as we know mainly it and that was a trend discernible probably from 1980 onwards. So it's been going 40 years now.
0: Yeah, it really is. And has. you
1: can't say it's, it's therefore going to stop because it's 40 years old. <laughs> but I'm agreeing with you that the bull market, it, it, and be honest, if you go just a little bit further back than when it fell like a stone because of the global financial crisis in 2008-2009, um, we are not that much ahead of where we were in 2006-7, in terms of international markets.
0: Listen, you're off to uh, Eastern Europe later on this evening.
1: Well, uh, it's still part of Europe, and it used to be part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It's actually Hungary, yeah.
0: Exactly. Well, all I can say is, if you're in Budapest at the moment listening to this, watch out. Liston Mainshees is on his way. Liston Maincheese can be contacted at liston at liston.co.za. He's an independent analyst. And that was his 2020 view. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. To receive Liston's charts and other exclusive content, go to strictlybusinesspodcast.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage and subscribe.